Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I'm so thankful that you guys come here hungry because there's this thing that Jesus said, he said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be fed. And I Someone, I heard someone talking, I mentioned this in first verse, but I heard someone one time talk about, like, you know, thin places where it's like, you know, the presence of God is closer there or something. I have my thoughts about that, but I, but I do think this. I think that every single week we come here expecting him, and every single week he's drawn to that, and he just comes and pours himself out, and I'm so thankful for that. I don't know that this room is special, but it's the heart that longs for him, that draws on heaven, that he responds to. And I'm just, I'm so thankful to be part of, of a church family that, that gathers together through the week, and then every week we gather together as one body and just worship our king together, and we expect him to come. We expect his presence, like just even in a more tangible way than, than, than we than we experienced it before, and we just every week come hungry, and every week come expectant, and every week he just looks down, and I think it just makes a pull on heaven, and he comes, and his presence comes, and you can just, you can feel him here, I mean, it's it's amazing, and and, um, and I love that. I, I I think that, that, that we have to be careful that our faith doesn't become in a place, but in a person. If our faith ever becomes in a place when we can't get to that place, then what do we have? Right? But if our, if our faith is in a person, if it's in the man Jesus Christ, if it's in the Spirit of God, if it's in the loving Father, then everywhere we go, we can, we can actually experience Him and know that He's with us. He said He'd never leave you, He'd never forsake you. When you felt him the least, he was still there. Because he's not a man that he should lie. But there's something about this, I don't know what it is, but when we get together and we just worship, and, and, it's, and maybe it's just our awareness of his presence. Maybe it's, and, and he's enthroned on the praises of his people. I don't know exactly how that works, but I'm so thankful to be part of a family of God that gathers together every week with expectant, hungry hearts and just says, we're here for you. And I, I just feel like heaven is just like, oh, I have to come. And he responds to that. Um, and so, so thank you guys. We, we have the, it's just such a great privilege to get to be part of, of, of the family of God here. It really is. Um, and, and last week, how many of you guys stayed for the cookout? What's wrong with the rest of you? <laughs> it was amazing. And, and Candace and her team did such a great job. They did. I'd start trying to name all the people, but for one, there were so many new people running around working that some of them, I don't even know their names yet, and they were just working away and, and making everything happen, but her whole team and everybody, thank you so much to everybody who was involved, everybody that helped out. You guys did such an amazing job, and it was, it was really awesome, but um, I, I just feel so privileged to be part of this family and to, to get to be part of what God's doing, and and, um, and, and, and here's the thing, is that when we gather like this, it's never just so that we can come and experience a feeling, it's so that we can actually know him more and be changed and become like him. That's the whole goal of our life. Like, literally, the goal of life is to become like Jesus, is to be transformed into the image of his son, because those whom he foreknew, he predestined that they would be transformed into the image of his son. Jesus Christ, so that he could be the firstborn of many brethren, many sisters. Like, the whole goal of life is that we become like him. Which means when I said yes to him, I wasn't just saying yes to an idea. I wasn't just saying yes to, like, you know, pray this prayer or, or say yes. And then it, it, in that yes, there was a ton of answers made. Like, I'm getting ready to do a wedding this evening, and, and I, so I was thinking about this yesterday. I I love the moment when, when the groom is standing there and the music changes and everybody stands and his bride is at the end of the aisle. And I've started now taking my phone and, and I hope they don't mind. No one's complained yet, but <laughs> I actually did it with Trey. It was the first time I did it. I take my phone and I'll sneak over behind them. I'll put my, my phone right behind their head and take a picture so that they can forever remember what they saw when they looked down that aisle. But I would think about this, like in that moment, 
he's about to say no to 3.5 billion women. Like, literally, he's about to say no to every other woman on earth, and there's not one thought in his mind of who he's saying no to, because all he can do is stare at the one he gets to say yes to. That's what life with Jesus is. It's like, I'm not running around going, I can't, I can't, no, no, no. It's, I get you, I can have you, and you're telling me I can know you more than I know you now? Then I want to know you. And I'm not, like, literally, how many of you are married in here? How many of you, when you were standing up there, don't admit it if you did. How many of you were conscious of, I can't believe I'm saying no to this person and no to this person. And, come on, no, you weren't thinking that in the least because all you could think about is I get to say yes to her, to him. That's what life in Jesus is. It's in that yes to him. There's a billion no's, but the no's are so inconsequential and they're so irrelevant and they're so worthless compared to the beauty of Jesus compared to the one that we can have and the one that we're called to be like. He's a forerunner, Hebrews says. You know what that means? It means someone who runs first. That means there's supposed to be someone who runs second and third and fourth and fifth. It wasn't that he ran a race and then said, wow, look at me and how amazing I am for running this race. No, he ran the race and then he said, follow me. Run the way I ran. Follow in my footsteps. The things I do, you'll do. And greater things because I go to the Father. We make that about the miracles, and of course, that's, that's amazing, and that's, that's awesome, but what about the fact that when he was here, he actually cared about people enough that when he saw someone sitting by a well, he went over and talked to them? Don't get so caught up in needing a, 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 to, a something supernatural to happen. Here's the point. When did the supernatural thing happen? It happened after he cared enough to go sit down next to a woman and actually talk to her and hear the heart of God over her life. It doesn't say, and Jesus saw the woman and got a word, so he went over now, is, is that true? It doesn't say. And Jesus saw a woman sitting at the well, and he got a word, so he went over to minister to her and show her that he had a word for her. No, it says he saw a woman sitting by a well. He is the word. You know, if you became convinced that you carry the answer, you'd be a lot more likely to go over to people when you see them sitting there alone because you feel like you actually have something to give, whether you know it in the moment or not. You, you don't need a word for somebody. You have the word inside of you. And if he gives you something more than what you already carry, awesome. But if he doesn't, you know that they were created by a father that loves them so much he sent his son to die on a cross for them. And that every single person that you see that doesn't know him is living short of the glory they were created for. You know that when you wake up in the morning. Every person you look at was created by a father that loves them and destined them to be transformed to the image of his son. And they're living short of his glory because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're living below their created value if they don't live in the knowledge of who they are and what he's done for them and they haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior. What more do you need than that? You know what? You, you have a word of knowledge. You have the word in you and you have knowledge that they are loved by the Father, that they were created for relationship, and you can actually go over to them and care about them. That's what Jesus said, the things I do and you'll do, and greater things because I go to the Father. Why don't we start with the things that we know he did? We can argue about the greater things once we're doing the things. We get hung up trying to figure out what the greater things are. I think sometimes we like to pursue things that we don't understand because it makes us feel better about the things we do understand that we're not doing. I'm just saying, not, not you guys, but me sometimes. I could, I could overlook the things that I do understand and make this life about figuring out the things I don't. Why don't we start with the things we clearly understand? How about the fact that when Jesus saw somebody, he went over to them? Jesus didn't walk around like this. I'm stepping on my own toes. He walked around mindful of other people, mindful that there were people who were like sheep without a shepherd, mindful that he had brothers and sisters and people that God had sent him to the earth to introduce to a father. And then he created you to be like him. And he said, as the father sent me into the world, so also send I you. What's he saying? Saying, God sent me here to show people what he looks like. Now I'm sending you to show people what he looks like. And what does he look like? Well, we know that by who he is and what he is. God is love. 
Maybe that makes sense why he said, by this they'll know you, by your love for one another. Why? Because he's love. So if I'm being transformed into the image of Christ, and Christ is the image of the unseen Father, and God is love, then that means I'm being transformed into the image of love. This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5. He's talking about circumcision. The, 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 he had started this, planted this church, and they received the pure gospel. And they were so excited about this, and they took off running after Jesus. And they were excited about the, the gospel of grace that came, that it was by, by faith and, and grace and, and belief in what Jesus Christ had accomplished on the cross. And, and they were just so excited about this. And then along came people that said, well, yeah, but you also this, and you also that. Circumcision was a big thing. And they're telling them, listen, when people start trying to add things to Jesus, that's when you know that they're trying to steer you away from truth. I'm telling you, it's, it's Jesus. If you can't find it in Jesus, don't try to find it in your own life. And so Paul comes, they come to these people and they say, well, yeah, that's true, but that's why Paul said, be careful the fine-sounding arguments. It wasn't the people that came along and said, no, Jesus isn't true. It was the ones who came along and admitted the truth but added a twist to it. Those are the fine-sounding arguments. It's the truth with a little twist. It's not the, the guy that comes to me and says, you know, there's no such thing as God. We all got here from this. We all got here from that. Science this. And, you know. It's not that person I have to worry about. It's the one who speaks all kinds of truth and then adds a little bit of twist to it that you have to be careful of. That's what Paul was talking about, the fine-sounding arguments. It's the ones that acknowledge a bunch of truth and then add something of humanity to it that try to steer us away. And so they came. They said, well, yeah, that's all true, but in addition... You need to be circumcised. And Paul says, listen, neither uncircumcision nor circumcision means anything. All that matters is faith working through love. He says that's all that matters. And he's not just talking about, like, you know, versus circumcision. No, he's saying, listen, nothing else matters but faith expressing itself through love. You can tell me that you believe in God, but if it doesn't express itself in your life through the way that you love people, you don't believe him. You may believe in him, but you don't actually believe him. It says you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, they believe to the point that it causes a reaction in their life. The problem is the reaction doesn't look like Jesus. Our belief should lead us to a reaction that looks like Jesus because he is the expression of love. And then we're called to be like him. You're called to be like him. I'm called to be like him. Literally, we're called to be like Jesus. That means in every situation I find myself in, I should be asking myself, and I, this is so challenging me, like I'm not sitting on the hill shouting commandments to people to come up where I am. I'm saying this is what God is calling every one of us into, is to say, if Jesus Christ were here, what would he do? How would he respond? Because he sent, he sent me into the world, even as the Father sent him, and he also said he was always with me, and he'd never leave me nor forsake me, even to the end of the age. So what would he do if he was here? And if you, like, if you don't know, ask him. Like, don't just assume that your natural response is the response of heaven because you were born into sin. You became born again. But you have to unlearn some things that you learned and you have to be transformed by renewing your mind. You have to actually change the way that you think. So don't trust your natural instincts. Make sure they look like Jesus. Because the way that you respond should be different when you're born again than it was before you weren't. Like, something should have changed. And make sure, like, like, we should ask ourselves, like, if I walk away from this situation right now, does that person know what Jesus looks like? And here's the thing, on the days you want to, and on the days you don't want to, that's what integrity is. That's what character is. It's doing what I know even when I don't feel it in the moment. It doesn't make you less than spiritual to say there's some days I don't want to. You, Jesus did it. <laughs> he's in the garden. The father says, this is what I'm calling you to. He knows what he's called to. He knows for a long time. He just got done telling them what they were going to do to him. They're going to crucify him. They're going to lift him up. And yet, he goes to the garden. He gets on his knees. And before the father, he bears his heart. And he says, Father, there's any other way. 
Let this cup pass from before me. But nevertheless, not my will, not my want, not my desire, not my idea be done, but yours. What's he saying? God, right now, this isn't what I want to do. If there's a different way, let's do that. But if there is no other way, then not what I want, but what you want needs to be done. You know what's amazing about that? Is that Jesus, when he went into the garden, called some of the disciples to come and intercede and pray. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. It's cool to have people pray for you. It's not cool if they don't for that to be the reason that you don't do what God's called you to. Because he comes and he says, couldn't you even pray for this long? He finds them asleep. So he corrects them like they were called. How many of you know that, that, that Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing? And he said, these words I speak are not my own, but my Father who's in heaven. So it was God asking them to come away with him and pray. They were really supposed to come and pray. Like just because somebody didn't do something didn't mean they weren't supposed to. They were literally supposed to come and pray for Jesus while he was going through the hardest thing that any human being has ever gone through. They were. They were supposed to. It was God's will for them to come. Jesus wasn't saying that to them outside of anything, but it being God's will for them to come and pray. Just because people didn't do it didn't mean they weren't supposed to, but just because they didn't do what they were supposed to do can never be an excuse for you and I not doing what we're called to do. Because Jesus doesn't go, well, you know, I would go to the cross, Father, but look at the people that you called me to have pray for me. You call that prayer covering? And you guys, I mean, think, think he didn't do that. He didn't go, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass through before him. But nevertheless, oh my gosh, they're asleep. How do you expect me to do what you've called me to do when they won't even intercede? He never did it. It's awesome to have people praying for you and encouraging you. And listen, they're supposed to. There, there, there's a good chance that God actually asked them to do that, just like Jesus was God asking them to come away and pray. Just never let them not doing what they're called to do be an excuse for you not doing what you're called to do. Someone needs, I'm telling you, you need to hear that. People are not your problem. And if you see them as the problem, you'll never see yourself as the answer. Because you're supposed to walk aware of your answer that you carry. And the answer is Jesus. Yeah. See, and, and here's the thing, is like, it doesn't even matter what it looks like on the, it's the why. Like, why are we doing what we're doing that matters to the Lord? Like, we get so caught up in judging what's being done, but we're not even looking at and asking ourselves the why behind it, and that's what he cares about. He told Samuel that Samuel's going to pick a king, and there's these, the kingly people, looking people, walk in front of him, the ones that all of us would say, wow, they, that's, that's the king. Obviously, they're, they're warriors, they're tall, they're good-looking, they've been in battle. They're the kind of people that are natural leaders, you know, that everybody wants to follow. They're tested. We have all this criteria. And God looks and says, yeah, but I don't have his heart. Why? Because he can make you what you're not, but he can't make you give him your heart. So if he's looking at two people, it's the one whose heart is fully his. He says, I'll take him and I'll cover everywhere he's short. I'll make him capable of killing a, a giant with a stone and a sling. I don't need that stuff. What I need is a heart yielded and submitted to me. You can make yourself on the outside look like everything God's called you to be and your heart not be surrendered to him. And he can't use that. But if your heart is surrendered to him, he'll make up for everything you lack in the natural. I promise you. It's like our building. It probably scares away more people than it draws in. But God's like, I can use that because I have their hearts. We could build the most amazing building if the heart behind it isn't right. It's useless. I'm telling you, it's, what, it's the heart behind it that matters. It's the heart behind it that draws the response of heaven. It's the why that matters. You can pray for people because you want your life to be better. And your prayer can sound so holy. 
Oh God, would you just come and would you just show them who you are, Father, so that they will see and walk in all that you've created them to. And everybody outside listening to your prayer thinks, wow, look at that. They are just praying their heart out for those people. That's amazing. But on the inside, the reason you're praying is because my life's uncomfortable until they change and I can't be okay until he changes them. It's a selfish prayer. And it's motivated by me needing you to change for me to be okay rather than me being okay and wanting you to be okay too. And so I'm praying that God would show you what he's shown me because if they knew who they were, they'd have the joy that I have. My joy isn't waiting on them to change. I'm praying for them to change because of the joy that I have already. I'm telling you, that stuff matters. I'll show you. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. This is Jesus being led away into the wilderness, and he's being tempted by the enemy. This is right after the, he gets baptized. The heavens open, and the Spirit of God comes down upon him, and God speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And then Jesus immediately gets led out into the wilderness, and he's fasting for 40 days. It says he was led out there to fast for 40 days. And so he's still in the wilderness, which means he's still supposed to be fasting. You know, that's, that was the hook in turn these stones to bread. Was if I'm still where God's called me to go and fast, that means I'm still supposed to be fasting until God calls me out of there. Why would I do something that's going to become a temptation to me? Why would I turn stones into bread when I'm not supposed to be eating right now? It's not a sin to be tempted, but don't put temptation in front of you intentionally. And Jesus is saying, listen, I don't have any reason to turn stones into bread right now because I'm not here to eat bread. I'm here to fast. And so now the enemy comes to him. He says in, in, in verse 5, he says this. He says, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God. Isn't this crazy? I mean, we've mentioned this before, but think about this. The last voice Jesus hears when he, before he goes into the wilderness is God speaking and saying, this is my beloved son. He knows who he is. The next voice that's recorded him hearing is the enemy coming to question the very thing that God spoke over his life, if you're the son of God. Why? Because he wants to pluck it out while it's in its infancy because he knows that once that thing gets established, he's going to have a lot harder time. Don't be surprised when you hear the voice of the Lord and you're beginning something if all of hell doesn't come after it. Why? Because he knows this principle. You take an acorn, you stick it in the ground. When that first little shoot pops up, you could reach out with two fingers and pick it out of the ground. But you let that thing get what it needs. You let it get the sun and you let it get water. You let it have good soil that it can put its roots down into. Let it get established and you can go grab 10 of your friends and wrap your arms around that trunk and you're not going to make it budge. Why? Because it's been established. He wants to snuff it out before it's established. He's coming after it in its infancy. Think about it. He's always been after the Christ. He knows this Jesus is coming at some point. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know everything. He's not all-knowing. He's not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of Michael. He's created. He's a created being. He's not the opposite of God. God is the uncreated, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. The devil's not all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. They're not yin and yang. They're not even, like, it's not like apples and oranges. It's like, you know, apples and scrabble tiles. Like, they're, they're, they're not even close. Right? Who says scrabble tiles? But that's the truth, though. There, we, have to get such a, we have to get a bigger picture of God and a smaller picture of the enemy because it says on that day when we see him, we'll stare and say, are you the one before whom the nations trembled? We're not going to be saying that because he's so great and powerful. We're going to be like, oh, are you the one? No, we're going to look at him and see him for who he is, and we're going to say, are you, you, you? It was you? Why? Because we'll be seeing him in relation to the Father, and we'll realize they were not even close to each other. We'll have such a big picture of him that anything that's not him will seem so small. We need to get that now. We need to get that perspective now. And understand that he's not as powerful as you think. In fact, he has no power except the power that you give him. That's why Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. You know why? Because he can't take one. But he'll take every one you give. Everyone you give, he'll take, but he can't take one unless you give it. 
So I, just be careful that you're not doing things in your life that are allowing him to have a voice. If you keep hearing him speak in an area, ask yourself, is there a reason he has a voice there? Because you can't take a foothold in your life, but man, he'll take everyone you give him. and won't miss an opportunity. So the enemy comes and he's trying to snuff this thing out. And now he actually knows. See, before he didn't know. So he would have to go by what he saw with his eyes because he's not all knowing. So every time, you, you ever notice in the word, every time he sees the favor of God resting upon an Israelite male child, he comes after him. Moses is born. The favor of God's on Moses. What does he do? He moves on the heart of Pharaoh to kill every male child under the age of two. Why? He's trying to kill the Christ. The enemy's trying to kill the Christ. Pharaoh thinks he's trying to keep the people down. He's serving a greater purpose. He's actually trying to kill the Christ and doesn't even know it because he's being used by the enemy. Joseph comes along, favor of God's on his life. He moves on the heart of their brothers. They want to kill him. One speaks up, says, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Why? He's after the Christ. And he doesn't know. He doesn't know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He just sees the favor of God. He sees the favor of God upon David. Moves on the heart of an evil king who's turned his back on God to try to kill him. Why? He's after the Christ. Now he knows. Now he knows. Think about it. Abel comes along, has the favor of God on his life, rises up in the heart of Cain to kill Abel. Why? He's after the Christ. He hears this promise. There's one coming. You'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He thinks if I can just get to him before he gets to me, I can keep that from happening. And so he's all for all time. He's always been after, but now he knows. And so Jesus, when, he, when God declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, the whole spiritual realm hears that voice. And now he knows this is the son of God. This is the one. I have to stop him. And immediately he comes to him and tries to make, bring into question the word of God spoke over his life. Don't be shocked when he comes to call into question the word of God over your life. He wants to snuff it out before it can get established. He doesn't want you to become an oak of righteousness. So he comes to Jesus and he's tempting him and he comes to him and he says this. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put your, your Lord God to the test. So here you have a question being asked of Jesus, and the question essentially is this. If you are, then do this. And Jesus responds by rebuking him and not doing what he asks. But a little bit later, Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, the crowd is, is gathered around him, and the crowd is hurling insults, and, and, and he's now nailed on a cross, and listen to what they say to him. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. He doesn't rebuke them. But he doesn't do what they ask. Then a little while, but, but before that, Peter and the disciples are all in a boat in Matthew chapter 14. Verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So if he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, why do three questions get three different responses when all three people asked him the same thing? If it's you, do something. It's the heart. Because, see, we're, we're busy judging the outside. It says we hear with our ears. It says in, in Isaiah, prophesying Jesus says, will not, will not uh, listen, uh, judge by what he hears with his ears or what he sees with his eyes alone. In other words, there's, a, there's, there's something more to it than just what we hear. So if I'm there for all three instances and I hear the devil say this and get rebuked and ignored, I hear people say this and just get ignored, and then I hear a man say this, and Jesus actually does what he says, I probably have a hard time understanding. Why is it that God sometimes does this, sometimes does that, and sometimes does that? Because I'm busy looking at the outside, but God's looking at the heart. So why was the enemy asking him to do what he asked him to do? 
Selfish ambition. Why? Because he wants to be worshipped. Because he thinks he deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. And he wants to be worshipped. And so he's trying to get Jesus to serve him. He has selfish ambition in his heart. James talks about this. He says, you ask not. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with selfish desire that you may spend it on yourself. He says, you, there's two reasons you're not getting what you want. Either you're not asking for it, or when you ask, you have selfish ambition. And Jesus, here's the enemy asking this and realizes, he's not asking this because he actually wants to make me Lord. He has no interest in Jesus being the Lord of his life and Jesus being king. He doesn't love Jesus. He has nothing in his heart but selfish ambition. And he's trying to get Jesus to do something so that he gains something from it. And Jesus actually rebukes him for it. Within the crowd, I don't think they had evil in their heart as much as they had ignorance. They don't know that he's, that he's really the king. They don't know that he's Jesus. The devil knows who Jesus is. The crowd doesn't. And we know this because Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So they don't get rebuked. In fact, he doesn't do what they want, but he has a desire to show them that he is the son. So he sends Peter a little bit later. He says, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. A little while later, Peter's preaching to these same people that demanded Jesus do that, that he ignored. And he says this, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Sometimes we ask for something in ignorance. And what we want, we don't understand what we're asking, and God doesn't give it to us, but he doesn't just leave us in that place. He actually will send someone, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, someone around us to come and actually speak into us so that we can ask for the right reason. Because a little while later, they say, then they were cut to their hearts, and they say, well, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And you too, who too? The people who told him, come down if you're the Son of God. The people who asked the question that God ignored when they asked in ignorance now have been taught by God to the point where their hearts have been brought to a place where they can ask with the right motive, and then they receive. If, if, you're not, if your prayers aren't being answered, ask yourself, am I asking with selfish ambition? If I'm not, then maybe I don't understand what I'm asking for, and there's something I need to learn because it may be something he wants to give me, but he wants to bring me to a place of me understanding so that I actually can receive it fully. All they would have done if he would have came down off the cross is made him an earthly king. They didn't understand what they were asking for, so he couldn't give them what they wanted, even though ultimately he would come off the cross. He would be their king. But this time they would actually understand what that meant and what that looked like, and they would receive the fullness of what he came to offer rather than an earthly substitute that would have fed their satisfaction in the moment, but wouldn't have lasted for eternity. Sometimes we're asking him for something that maybe in the moment would make us satisfied, but it wouldn't last for eternity. And he says, listen, I want to give you what you're asking, but I have to bring you to a place where you actually understand what you're asking for so that you can receive fully what I want to do. And then there's Peter. Why does Peter say, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come? Because he wants to be with Jesus doing what Jesus is doing. And I think there's something about a heart that says, I just want to be with you where you are doing what you're doing that he can't help himself. And so he says, come on. And, and the disciples could have been like, well, when the, cra- when, when, when the devil asked that, he rebuked him. Maybe we should rebuke Peter. No, because you're judging from the outside. Let God deal with their heart. And if you see someone step out of the boat and start walking towards Jesus, even if you don't think the, the, the way they did it is right, believe this. If they're going to where he called them to be, then he's seen their heart. And even if you look from the outside and don't understand it, that's okay. You don't have to understand it, but just don't come against it. Here's the thing that, that really stands out to me about this, is that I think there's something about our hearts being in a place where we ask something in faith because we really want him that he responds to versus when we ask something with selfish desire because we really want something for ourselves. Peter doesn't say, if it's really you, God, make me the king. If it's really you, fill my boat with gold, fish, any of those things. 
He says, if it's you, I want to be where you are. Tell me to come so I can get to you. Because all I want to do is be where you are doing what you're doing. You know what's crazy about that? Is that the storm doesn't stop the second he walks onto it. Sometimes I have this idea. I know you guys, maybe not. But I have this idea that if it's God, once I step, everything will be smooth. You know, like, well, Lord, if this is you, you step and the storm maybe gets worse. And you're like, Jesus. You take another step thinking, surely, if this is him, this step, it'll calm down. And it just keeps on going. Why? Because he's not interested in making the storm go away all the time. Because if, that, if he does, if he makes the storm go away the second you step, then your faith in him is only as good as the environment around you. But if he can keep you walking on the water, even in the middle of the storm, then you understand it doesn't matter what's going on around me. If my eyes are fixed on him and I'm doing what he called me to do, I'll be okay, even if everything around me looks like chaos. Why? Because he wants people that live by faith, not by circumstance. He doesn't want you to judge whether it's him or not by how smoothly it goes. Now, on the other hand, it doesn't mean that it's, not, it's always him if it doesn't go smooth. Sometimes it's going hard because you're not doing what he called you to do. Like, it's not like this gauge, well, you know, it's God if something comes against it. No, it could be heaven coming against it. The disciples are in a boat, they're being obedient, and a storm comes. Jonah's in a boat being disobedient, and a storm comes. You're either Jonah or you're the disciples. The only difference is, am I doing what he called me to do, or am I trying to get away from what he's called me to do? That's how you judge where the storm came from. You don't judge like, well, this must be God because there's a storm. No, you could be your Jonah. I know it's the truth. Jonah could have stood there all day long and been like, see, I'm obviously doing what God wants because there's a storm coming. And every time you get in a boat and do what God calls you to do, a storm comes. See, we've formalized things. Storm comes in someone's life, and the first thing we say is, well, you know, that must be God because the devil's trying to stop it. Are you sure? Just ask him, hey, are you being obedient? That's my first question for everybody when we sit down and talk about something, especially when we're talking about a problem. I'll say, are you, do you feel like to the best that you know you're being obedient to what God said to you? Is there any area where you would say like you're being disobedient? Because if there is, the problem is probably the disobedience. It might not be the enemy. It might be you. You might be Jonah. Don't make us throw you over the board, <laughs> overboard. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that because then he'd tell us to jump in after you. I'll, just, I'll close up talking about this. There's some, two things that, that I want to do before we leave. I wrote this down. I want to read it the way I said it. There are places he wants us to walk that are only accessible with a heart that just wants to be with him doing what he's doing. You realize, like, there was a place he had for all of the disciples that he desired them. He said, where I go, I want you to be with me. Like, it was his desire. I think he would have loved for all of the disciples when he said, come, to just step out onto the water and start walking towards him. Why? He wanted to be with all of them. But I do believe that there are places that we can only go if our heart is purely to say, God, I just want to be where you are doing what you're doing. Jesus, I just want to be with you. I don't want to, I'm not doing this for thanks. I don't care if nobody ever sees it because I know one day you'll look at me and say, well done. That's good enough. You ever been in that place where you do something and then you're so aware of the thanks that you didn't get and all it proves is that you weren't actually doing it out of love, you were doing it out of a need to be recognized. I'm not saying we shouldn't thank each other, we should. But I'm saying if I can't be okay apart from being thanked, then I'm probably doing it for the wrong reason. If I need to be thanked for what I'm doing, I'm probably doing it for the wrong reason. I should probably get to a place where I'm doing it out of love for people not for people's appreciation for me. Because for every time that you've done something and no one said thank you, he's going to look you in the eyes on that day and say, well done. For every time that you sacrificed and nobody knew, for every time you gave of yourself and nobody knew, for every time it wasn't easy and you didn't want to in the moment, but you knew what you promised to do, he'll look you in the eyes on that day and he'll say, well done. And then nothing will matter 
when he looks you, when you look into those burning eyes of love and he looks you in the face and he grabs your face and holds it to his and looks you in the eyes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of my father that was prepared beforehand. When he says that to you, the awareness that nobody else thanked you will not be a thought in your mind. You're not going to turn away and say, well, thanks, Jesus, but there's some people that need to thank me too. You won't care because you'll have him. I just want to challenge us as, as a church family. Like, let's just, oh, let's just commit to being like him. Like to saying, I, if I can know what you're like through studying your scripture, I want to study your scripture. Not to win an argument, but to find you so that I see what my life should look like because you said to follow you. So if I see you go sit down next to somebody and actually care enough to talk to them, I'll go sit down next to people and care enough to talk to them. Not because I go there knowing that something supernatural is going to happen, but because I go there knowing that they're loved by you. And there's every reason to think that maybe I'm there because you want them to know that you love them. And if anything more than that happens, awesome. But if nothing more than that happens, amazing. Because why? Somebody who maybe didn't know the love of the Father knows that he's, they're seen, they're known, and they're loved by him. Dylan last week called out a kid and prophesied over him, and he met up with the kid's friend that he came with. He's actually a pastor in another church, works in another church, and, and came here because some people he knows uh, have come here. And he said, man, my friend felt so seen and known by God, and he felt so loved. And Dylan said, if people coming in to contact us make them feel like God sees them, knows them, and loves them, that's a win. That's a win. That's why we're here. I just want to encourage you guys, too, in this. Share the stories of what happened. I was at the cookout last week, and this kid came up to me, and he said, oh, I forgot to tell you. He's like, you remember two months ago, I brought that guy with me to church, and he had the track marks on his arm, and he had two really big holes. You could tell he'd been shooting, and, and this, this kid had just, like, maybe the night before, got born again, and he brought him to church with him. And I was praying over him, and when I prayed, I just said, God, I thank you that even the marks of his old life would disappear. And, and he's got gaping, open track holes in his arm. And, uh, and I, just, I just prayed, and, and he left. And he said the next day, the kid was freaking out, texting him pictures because the holes were closing up and healing, and in two days, they were completely healed. I said, dude, that's a big deal. Like, I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff doesn't happen every day for me. Like, I would love to know that. He's like, yeah, I just totally forgot to tell you. I'm like, well, <laughs> every miracle is amazing. But man, when you see something like that, like, share the word with each other. It's the thing that I talked about during worship. It's like one woman grabs the edge of Jesus's garment and gets healed and declares. You notice she said, he said, who touched me? She said, it was me. He said, your faith made you whole. She had said in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. How many of you guys realize that a few chapters later, when he goes to another city, everyone wants to touch the hem of his garment because they believe they'll be healed? How did that happen? One woman shared her story, and it provoked faith in a bunch of people. Like, like share the stories of what God's doing in your life, and encourage and challenge each other into them. Let's be a community of people that, like, challenge each other. Let's also be a community of people that are never each other's reason for not being who God called us to be. Let's be the reason, part of the reason that people are who God called them to be. Let's not be a wound people have to get over. Let's be like healing balm that restores people's faith in what church can be. And what a group of people that love God and have no motive but then to become like him and to see the world know him can be. Let's be those people. Let's be that church family. They're all over, I'm sure. I'm just saying, let's be one. I won't be the only one, but let's be one. Yeah. Um, so second thing I want to do is, is there anyone here who um, either wants to be a mom, um, has been pregnant but never got to see their baby on earth, or is currently a mom? If you are, would you stand up? We're going to pray for all three of you, all three groups. So the, the first group that we're going to pray for are the people who want to be mothers but aren't. And we're going to pray that either God sends them the spouse, gives them the physical ability, 
or if maybe it's a different season of their life, sends people to them that they can mother. Because just because you're past the age of having children doesn't mean you can't be a mother to somebody. And if that desire to mother is still inside of you, it's probably because there's people around you that need to be loved the way a mother loves a child and cared for and nurtured and brought to a place of of maturity and becoming who God created them to become. So Father, I just thank you for every woman that's standing that's in that place, that you bring them the spouse, you give them the ability, or you bring the people for them to express that desire that you've given into their life. In Jesus' name. For the second group of women, these are the people who have been pregnant but have not got to see that child here on earth. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And in Romans, it says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That means before that he started to knit that child together in your room, he knew them and he predestined them to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That means right now in heaven, they look like Jesus. And they're waiting there. And one day they'll look you in the eyes and you'll see them and you'll know them because they're there. And you're no less a mother because you didn't get to see them here. You'll be a mother for eternity. And you'll see that child. And you'll never not see them again. So Father, for for every woman standing who's experienced the loss, loss of losing a child, no matter how it happens, I thank you that it says that that before you formed that baby in their womb, you knew them. That means they are a person with a purpose. And that you, you foreknew them, God. You knew them before you formed them. And so you'd predestined them to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And God, we thank you for that day when they'll get to see with their eyes what they've only seen and felt with their heart. And it'll be forever. And now for all the women who are standing, who are moms, we want to do this. I did this when I was praying in first service. I don't know, it just came out of it. It was the heart of the Father. We want to say thank you for all the things that you'll never get thanked for here on earth. For all the nights that you gave up sleep so that your children could sleep, so that your husbands could sleep. For all the times you did without so that your children could have the things that they needed and wanted that they'll never say thank you for. For all the times you sacrificed, for all the times you made hard decisions that they hated in the moment because they couldn't understand, but you were doing it because you loved them. And they don't know to say thank you yet. We want to say thank you. For all the times that you gave of yourself and sacrificed that nobody even saw, so how would they even know to thank you? He sees. Thank you. Thank you for giving your life and laying it down to see your children become who God created them to become. Thank you for loving your children and for wanting the best for them, even if it means the worst for you in the moment, for placing their needs and their wants above your needs and your wants. For all the times, children are selfish little me monsters. It's the fall of man. You can go in that nursery right there and watch the fall of man play out before your eyes. One little kid's got a toy, the other little kid wants it, and here comes Adam, mine. And the other kid, ah, mine. (laughs) They're selfish. They want what they want, and they have no idea what it costs. They're kind of like some other children that sometimes forget what it costs. For all those things, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray that God would just bless you. Every woman standing here, that God would bless you beyond measure, that you would feel the heart of the Father towards you. We thank you, Father, for these women. We thank you for for the babies that, that they've seen grow up, for the babies that we never got to see on this side of eternity, Father. We thank you for the desire to mother that you've put inside these women, God. We just thank you for people who are so dedicated to laying their lives down to see others live. Would you just bless them, not just today, Father, every day. Would you let them feel your heart of pleasure towards them? And we say thank you for all the thanks they won't receive here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The last thing we're going to do is um, Patty has been leading our, our prayer team for quite a while now, and she's known for a while that, that it was a time of transition was coming, and we kind of knew who we thought was the person supposed to take over, and we were waiting for God to tell us, and 
I don't think it'll be a shock to anybody that, um, that Dylan is going to be stepping in and taking over as the leader of our prayer and prophetic ministry team. And we just want to pray over him. So Dylan, would you come up here? And, and, and the elders, if you guys would come up here. Um, The, the, what we always want to do is we want to find what's in people and then put them in a place where they can do what God's called them to do. Because that's how things in the kingdom get done far more amazingly than they could get done if we do everything ourselves. And the longer I pastor, the more I just want to give things away. Just give them away. And see people step into who they were created to be and watch them do such an amazing job, far better than I could have done. Far better than we could have done. And that's what we believe about Dylan is that he'll do so much better than we could do with the limited time and attention we could give and because of what God's put in his heart. So would you guys just extend your hands towards him? We're going to pray over him and bless him into it. Father, we thank you for the heart that Dylan has to see people know you. I thank you, God, that everything he does is motivated by a desire to see people fall in love with Jesus Christ and give their lives to him and be born again and to know you for eternity. And Father, I pray that you would just expand the heart you've given him, that you give him wisdom far beyond his years and experience, God, that you would show him how to lead people, God, and teach him how to lead people to become who you created them to become. I pray that he would be a leader that would bend over and serve people. God, that he would never be a leader that demands people serve him, but that he would become the servant of all. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the heart you've given him. I thank you for the gifting in his life. I pray that you would just increase it and expand it, God. Would you just come, Father, right now and just increase and expand the gifting, the integrity, the character that's in him and on him, God, for your service and to serve this body, to see every person who comes under his leadership grow in stature and measure to become who you created them to become and to walk how you've called them to walk and to be equipped for everything that you call them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.